Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your 2023 WWE Survivor Series War Games Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, we are here a little bit later than usual after WWE Survivor Series War Games went off the air, but we are here to break down everything that happened on the main roster's final premium live event of 2023, live from Chicago, Illinois. We have an absolute ton to discuss on this show, as I'm sure you already know. So allow me not to waste another second of your time as we kick this off with a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defying. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, who will be joining us momentarily, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast itself. Please leave a five-star rating for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and the ability to vote in our pre- and post-show polls, both of which we will discuss later as we give you our final grades for WWE Survivor Series. War Games! And please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. We also happen to have a Black Friday, Cyber Monday special going on right now. But what you can do is visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, exclusive news posts, and much more. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. This is the point of the instant analysis show where we would normally crack open a cold one, but it's so late Vintage and I are so exhausted from rivalry week in college football. We're jumping right into the meat of the matter. And you know here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we are all about that meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. So, Chris, as we get into the show quickly, just wanted to welcome you. Say hello. Uh, Anything in particular that you wanted to share about our absolutely crazy Saturday before we get right into the meat and potatoes that was on this evening, Survivor Series. War Games! Yeah, just some context for people. Apologies for my audio. I am on the road for this recording in Indianapolis with the wife's family, so apologies for that. I forgot to bring my nice microphone. It's also 1.30 in the morning that we're starting this recording, but it has been a long-ass day for both of us with college football news and stuff on top of that. You've heard us complain and whine many times about Saturday shows. It is what it is. This is the last big weekend of the year, and WWE put on a show that we had to talk about and really wanted to get to talk about. It just took a lot of time to get together. Yeah, we've gutted through it most of the year. These Saturday premium live events on college football weekends are absolutely killers for us. But this was probably the wrong show on the wrong weekend for us to be able to do a true instant analysis as soon as it went off the air. We did the best we could to get started here, but hopefully this is catching you super early in the morning or first thing when you wake up on Sunday, because of course we know you want to hear that instant analysis from the Silver King and Vintage. Chris, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into 
the WWE Survivor Series War Games. Instant analysis. I'll cool it with the gimmick. Don't worry. And let's kick off with the big news of the night. Let's talk about the big return. Our truth back, right? Our truth is back, baby. Our truth is back, but someone else is back as well because Triple H pulled a fast one on us as he used to do so many times previously in NXT. Just as the bottom WWE Survivor Series War Games logo came up on the screen and it seemed like the show might fade to black, CM Punk's music hit and straight up one of the best kept secrets perhaps in professional wrestling history was revealed. Just an absolute unmitigated shocker to me to the point that I actually had to immediately rewatch it to believe my eyes that what I saw was actually happening. What an exceptional piece of booking doing the swerve with Randy Orton. We will talk about that in a moment. Punk did not do anything other than appear on stage. He celebrated with fans and he got a straight up nuclear level pop. And because that's all he did, Chris, there's only so much analysis that we have time to do tonight. But holy hell, what a moment this was. This has been a wild year in professional wrestling. And this will be one of the most memorable and controversial occurrences especially when you consider how many controversial moments have already happened in 2023 because of CM Punk himself. There were two moments on Saturday where I jumped up and yelled, oh my God. One of them was Alabama converting a fourth and goal from the 31-yard line to beat Auburn. The second was CM Punk's return here. Absolutely. I was just like, I'm like, hey, that was a pretty good show, all things considered. It yeah. was fun. It felt like a big deal. No Roman Reigns, no LA Knight. Really solid show. And then that music hits and I'm like, what? I can't <laughs> believe this is happening. We've talked about this for months ever since CM Punk left AEW. Should it happen? Should it not happen? Would it happen? I was in the camp of it shouldn't happen, but I want it to happen because you don't know what's going to happen. And it like this was the this was the one, you know, they always say forever. Everybody comes back. Right. Bruno San Martino came back. Bret Hart came back. Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior. And you wondered, would CM Punk be the one that finally didn't come back? It felt like if he, if there was anybody who wouldn't come back, it was that stubborn stun of a bitch. Right. And yet, here we are in Chicago. Punk comes out with a horrible haircut. And WWE, which is already having its best year and a half it's had in forever just takes that to another level unbelievable stunned shocking what a show so to reiterate you were of the stance that it should not happen but you really wanted it to i was of the stance it absolutely should not happen but if they were going to they needed to do it with numerous safeguards in place and that is going to be a deeper conversation that we're going to have Tuesday on our next WWE show for a couple of reasons. One, there's still a lot unknown right now as we tape this podcast. Don't want to rush to any judgments or hot takes or anything like that. But two, I also want to digest this a little bit. And I truly have not had the ability to do that before we start taping. So 
there's no doubt that the moment was immensely exciting and he got a massive pop. And let's also be clear. They were chanting CM Punk, the Chicago crowd, Friday during SmackDown. It happened twice during women's segments. That was kind of insulting. I was actually really frustrated and angry about it. It happened multiple times during Survivor Series. And the vast majority of the times it happened, it quickly got drowned out by boos. Other fans basically saying, don't do that. There was also one occasion where there were CM Punk chants and it became Randy chants, chanting for Randy Orton. But to be able to pay that off at the end of the main event, not interfere with current storylines that are ongoing, just immensely unique, immensely exciting, almost exhilarating to a degree. But that is not to say that this comes without major questions, and there are many of them. What agreement did Punk come to with WWE? What will his role be within the roster? Will he be around all the time or occasionally like Brock Lesnar, as I have been suggesting on this podcast? What safeguards will WWE have in place to ensure that what happened in AEW does not happen in WWE? And naturally, there are already safeguards among them that CM Punk is not going to have his own show. He won't have any say in the booking. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say my first piece of advice, probably in the yeah. contract, you don't get your own show and you don't get to determine who is in the building and who is not. He's not going to have the head of the organization cheering for him when he's walking backstage out to the ring for his match. I could go on. Okay. Also though, did this come together because WWE actually wanted him or because they see an opportunity to potentially continue their significant momentum and possibly, I'm not going to say they're going to take AEW out, but damage them even more than perhaps they already have. There are so many angles from which we need to break this down, and we are going to do the vast majority of that Tuesday on our next WWE show. The problem here, as you mentioned, it's 1.30 a.m. Eastern. We've been working immensely hard all day, one of the busiest weekends of our entire work year. And I want to make sure we spend all the necessary time on CM Punk as we dive deep into this return on Tuesday. But let's not get twisted what happened here. Punk returned to WWE nearly 10 years after his last match. He did it in Chicago, out of nowhere. And I will repeat, it was one of the best kept secrets that any wrestling company has executed, I think, in my entire life. And I've been watching this shit for three decades. We discussed all the little teases on TV. We figured they're probably just WWE having fun with the fact that he's a free agent. None of them were really blatant. You could explain this one away. You could explain that one away. And yet we ultimately got a truly insane moment, even with those teases, even with it in the back of your head. Hmm. They're in Chicago. He is a free agent. I wonder if he comes back to WWE. You never actually thought it would happen. At least I didn't. But the fact is, CM Punk is back in WWE. As Triple H would say, in this business, uh, never say never. And that's exactly how WWE tweeted out the video as well. If you, I don't think you know if you saw the whole press conference, but Triple H uh, was asked about it said it came together very quickly and, and quite late, basically that there was it was all speculation for a long time, and that's all it was was speculation. And basically then the speculation went away, and that's when it kind of came together real quick. Uh, I think 
Fightful may have reported that barely anybody knew until right at the very end when Punk just kind of walks into backstage and it goes out and a lot of production people didn't know. Cody was asked about it. Didn't say much, but said, look, it's an opportunity to do business, basically. And if there's more money to be made, then, then there's more money to do it. And that that's the most interesting part of all of this is because WWE is on such a high right now at a time when AEW is at a low right now. WWE did not need CM Punk. No, definitely yet not. They, yet, yet they saw this moment as an opportunity to grab another headline star. And that's one thing Triple H had was that People still love to talk about him, whatever you think of him. Uh, people love to talk about him, and, and that's business. Triple H says, look, we're a different company than 10 years ago. He's a different guy than 10 years ago. I'm a different person than 10 years ago. We'll see about that, because let's not forget that CM Punk got in a fight with, with his co-workers just yeah. a few months ago at AEW. So I, I don't know if I would say CM Punk is a different person yet or not. We'll have to see. Uh, how far that goes and, and what restraints there are. But look, it makes sense for everybody. Like you said, if you have the guardrails, he'll he'll bring you money. Uh, you, you have an incredible load of stars here. Potentially, he could maybe main event a night of WrestleMania. The, the one thing he never accomplished and always wanted to accomplish. Uh, Triple H said nobody from TKO was pushing for it to happen. He said basically only him and Nick Khan and a couple other people knew that was it. They're kind of just doing their own thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, Triple H is always down to do business. We know that. And, and clearly CM Punk was as well as he, you know, pretty much, I think wraps up his pro wrestling career last chance now to do a big run on a big stage. And I've no, I have no clue what's going to happen, but I am looking forward to it. Two real quick thoughts, just cause you mentioned them on the way out before we move on to the rest of the instant analysis for survivor series war games. Number one. If CM Punk main events WrestleMania night one over Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley, I will be furious. Just stating that right now. Number two, mm -hmm. from on a scale of one to five, with five being the riskiest thing they could have done and one being no risk whatsoever, where do you think WWE signing CM Punk lays for the company as of right now? Four out of five on the risk scale. Not that I think CM Punk could do tremendous damage to the company if something goes wrong, but just that the odds of it going wrong, <laughs> yes. I, I, I think I think are quite high. I think the company can obviously survive it and, and, and be OK. But, you know, it's um, I don't know. I As I kind of think about it, you know, they're, they're still doing the Monday Night Raw TV deal. That's, you know, and the SmackDown TV deal was a lot of money, but it wasn't what they expected. The stock price went down because of it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious, again, if that plays a role, although Triple H said TKO did not play a role in it. But yes, it's a risky move. Again, the last two years, we've seen CM Punk get in two major fights with right. co-workers. Like that just happened this summer. So like, he, it's not like, oh, it's been a while. Punk's probably, you know, a new dude. Like he's very clearly not. Right. So it's a, it's a big risk. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think him returning to AEW after Brawl Out was a five on that scale. This is a four, mostly because it's a different company and it's structured differently. So the risk is mitigated in a significant way, but he has loose lips. He speaks to the media when he's upset. Like there are so many aspects of CM Punk that can go wrong for WWE. I don't think you can say that it's anything lower than a four on that scale, but I did want to kind of address that real quick. Let me just reiterate one more time for everyone listening. We will go into much 
greater detail, both in terms of the information regarding CM Punk returning the news of it all and our analysis, our takes on the situation when it comes to all the items I mentioned before, everything from the safeguards to the agreement itself to what he's going to do from a storyline perspective, all of those items we will address Tuesday on the next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It's too much to handle tonight, number one. And number two, we still want to give you our detailed instant analysis of WWE Survivor Series War Games, and we are going to get to that right now. Extremely quick, Chris, before we get into the main event and then the rest of the show, I thought it was a huge improvement on the War Games presentation from a year ago. Not only did we get the siren sounds, but we got lasers, actual fire as the cage was lowered. I wish they had like the real sirens, the lights and pyro like back in the day in WCW, but it was still a really damn cool look. Uh. Yeah, look was good and everything. Um, I'm I don't have a affinity for war games in general, a lot like a lot of people do. Whether or not you have the top on it or not, I don't really care. I think my my biggest takeaway is I'm very sick of war pigs by Black Sabbath. It's the <laughs> same thing every year. We got to change it up, guys. Yeah, next year, they definitely need to change it up. I agree with you. So let's start with the main event. We're going to cover the two war games matches first. And then we will go ahead and break down the other three matches on the card. Men's War Games was the main event. Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, Sami Zayn, Jey Uso, and Randy Orton against Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre. On SmackDown, Judgment Day talked shit in their clubhouse. They mostly just ran down Orton for his age, saying that they would ensure he doesn't get another comeback after this one. Backstage Saturday before the match, Jey was worried that Orton wasn't there, knowing it would be his fault because the bloodline took Randy out 18 months ago. There was a light CM Punk chant quickly drowned out by booze during this. Dominic Mysterio later entered the clubhouse saying he heard Orton wouldn't be there. Finn Balor said they'd either get a five on four advantage or Orton would turn on the faces anyway. So either way, it benefited them. Then they had a secret plan to tell McIntyre. The faces finally commiserated in their locker room before the match with Jay freaking out to Rollins that Orton was still not there. Sammy came in similarly flustered only for Cody to enter promising that Randy would be there and everything would be okay. I will admit, that watching all this transpire, and I put these notes down before the CM Punk return, it sure felt to me as if this was not only happening to create drama around Orton. I figured it was possible that he would enter last for the huge pop as they were kind of filling the cages, but it seemed odd that they would go to this kind of extent to create doubt in whether Orton would show up when they fully announced and promoted him for an entire week going into the match. The reason that they did that seemingly being to avoid CM Punk chance in the show. And yet at the start of the show, they completely erased all of that and got the CM Punk chance back because they teased Orton not being there. So in the moment, it was immensely confusing. And I thought it was going to be a huge mistake, especially as the CM Punk chance continued to rain out throughout the rest of the show. But then the fact that they actually gave us CM Punk, it made sense why they did it, because even though Orton showed up, you got those CM Punk murmurs going around, people thinking that way, and then they delivered at the end of the show. It it was extremely corny, but it was the way to drum up the excitement for the Randy Orton return that they had already spoiled. Uh, we, we, We talked about it. Uh, in the ultimate preview of like, why would you give away Randy Orton's big return after 18 months like this? Mm-hmm. And we figured the reason you're doing it 
is so people know it's Orton and don't chant CM Punk or think it's going to be CM Punk. Uh, and and I, it's, it's the only reason I could think of because like Randy Orton was not going to sell more tickets or pay-per-views or whatever. So you get to the show. Oh, is Randy going to show up? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, he's going to sh- everybody knows he was going to show up. And then you get the moment at the end. And I actually thought they did. It, it, you know, we'll get to that. But it was to me, it was it was obvious it was going to be Randy Orton. And they just wanted to create some fake drama so they could give you the big moment in the pop, even though they had already told you it was going to happen. Almost completely agree with you, other than the statement that Orton wouldn't sell or, or get people to watch on his own, which is just not true. There are huge Randy Orton fans out there that have been patiently waiting for his return. And you saw the pop, heard the pop that he got Saturday night. There are people who definitely tuned in because Randy Orton was going to be on that show. I totally disagree with you there, but let's get to the War Games match itself. So without Orton, Rollins and Balor started with CM Punk chants and boos for those chants in the arena. Eventually, there were Randy chants replacing them. McDonough was second, bringing in kendo sticks, hitting a springboard moonsault into the opposite ring. Jay was next, entering with a steel chair, but after a run, he was taken down with a McDonough standing Spanish fly. McIntyre was ready to enter next. Priest stopped him, saying they were sticking to the plan. Drew questioned him, but Damien said it's not his plan, presumably referring to Rhea Ripley. Priest used a steel baton to destroy the faces and did a flipping cannonball off the top rope into both. More CM Punk chants. Sammy and Cody agreed for Zayn to go next. He pulled out the table to a huge pop, went on a major run, whipping the crowd into a frenzy with a blue thunderbomb on Balor. Then he grabbed the steel pipe, taking out all of Judgment Day. McIntyre came in and decimated everyone, flipping Rollins into Zayn with an Alabama slam. Then he went after Jay with a neckbreaker and more, only to eat a 1D with Jay and Sammy. Cody was next. Rhodes grabbed the bull rope and Rollins took the other side, agreeing to kick ass together for one night only. Balor took the rope right between his legs and they yelled about whether Orton would be there. There was confusion. Dominic entered last and looked ready for a run, only to get beat down four on one to huge cheers. The heels came back with Randy Chance echoing and then CM Punk Chance getting drowned out again. McIntyre and Priest combined for a triple choke slam. Then McDonough hit a moonsault, Balor hit coup de gras, and Mysterio hit a frog splash. But because the clock had not ticked down for the last entry, they couldn't go for a fall yet. Rollins then ate a razor's edge through a table by Priest, and finally, the buzzer sounded. There was no Orton. Instead, Ripley ran down to the ring with Priest's Money in the Bank contract, ready to cash it in. Just as she got to the timekeeper, Orton finally entered to a thunderous pop. He came in the ring, immediately hit two power slams. The heels soon took over, but the faces fought back with a five-way stereo draping DDTs for Orton. He set up for an RKO on Priest, but instead turned to Jay, only for Uso to catch him. Jay super kicked Damien, who was coming at Randy, basically saving him. Then Orton RKO Dominic. Rollins hit the stomp on Priest. Rhodes hit Cody Cutter on Balor. And Zayn caught McIntyre with Haluva kick. Jay added the Uso splash, but no one went for covers, despite all those being finishers. McDonough tried to escape, but the faces stopped him on top of the cage. Orton then set up right in the middle of the ring as JD got thrown off the top by the faces, eating a super avalanche RKO basically to his death. Cody then took Priest out with Crossroads for the one, two, three to end war games. What an effing match. Top tier booking. Not so much with the Orton questions, though that was great, but the delay. Giving Priest and Ripley an opening for Money in the Bank which we speculated about and wondered why did they not address this in the lead up? The briefcase should be outlawed during this match. 
That only makes sense. The moment that Ripley came out, you go, oh shit, they pulled one over on us. And then I thought, okay, maybe Orton's going to save them. And of course, that's what happened. Then you get the moment with Randy and Jay that was perfect. My one gripe was how dominant the faces became once Orton got in the ring. It was still five on five and probably should have been more hotly contested in the finish. But the McDonough spot was outstanding. And when you bring in someone like Orton and you bring him back in a match like this, and we talked about protecting him and not having him do crazy bumps and wrestling for too long. If you give the fans what they want with finisher spam, it's not necessarily the worst idea in this particular case. The fans absolutely ate it up from start to finish. I'm going to need to rewatch all of these matches for grades, and that applies to everything on the card. But here I'm at 4.25 stars and an A. I thought it was a tremendous main event. It capped an extremely strong show. Again, the gripe was that once the match beyond began, they call it once war games began, I feel like it only lasted like four minutes. It just ended rather suddenly as soon as Orton got in the ring. I have a feeling I'm going to have extra takeaways from this match come Tuesday, but that's where I stand from now. Chris, what did you think of men's war games and the return of Randy Orton? Can we first talk about how freaking yokes Randy Orton looked? Yeah, he looked jacked for sure. That dude looked like Batista out there. He's been working out the past year plus he's been out. Good Lord. Like he's always been, he's always been like a, you know, a toned muscle tone dude, but he's freaking that shoulders, neck dude looked humongous. CM Punk looked pretty big too. Um, so that, that jumped out like Randy, Randy Orton's a big dude. You always can see when he's in the ring, just how much taller he is, but man, that really jumped out. And I agree. Once Orton came in, kind of the faces just dominated and it was, it was surprising because we'll get into it. The women's match basically just finished the same way. It's honestly the way a lot of war games matches have seemed to finish because w- when the faces win, because you want to do it in an exciting way, finishers and all that stuff, give the crowd a reason to cheer. We both, I think we both got this wrong. We both picked judgment day to win. And incorrect. I was ultimately incorrect. You, you picked the faces. I picked the baby faces to win both war games. My reasoning being that the heels would win the other three matches. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. Um, who who ended up taking the pin? I forget. Was it McDonough? So Priest no, took the pin, which was which was strange because McDonough took a super duper avalanche RKO, yep. and then Cody's like, "Eh, let's not pin him." He picks up Priest, hits Crossroads, and beats him. Yeah, that that was surprising. The RKO off the top of the cage though was obviously great. McDonough sold it well, handled it all well. Um, yeah, the end of the match was just kind of a blur because it was just like, "All right, this is the end." You get the pin. It's not like a memorable type of moment, but it was a lot of fun up until the very end. I think uh, Orton looked great. Wrestling was good. The the bull rope stuff was good. You know, some some more Dusty Rhodes callbacks in the match that he created. Cody mentioned that afterward. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun. You know, I, I'm still not sure. I guess I'm not sure if this one needed to be either of them really needed to be war games with how they played out. But good match, fun time. And honestly, one of my thoughts after was like, man, you did the big Randy Orton return only for him to immediately get usurped by the CM Punk return. Yeah. <laughs> if Punk was returning, maybe we could have handled this a little bit differently here. That's true. But there was a good gap in time between Orton and Punk. I mean, Orton got his moments like he was the featured yeah. guy at but the end of the match. Right. But Randy Orton coming back is not the thing we're talking about coming out of Survivor Series. And that's well, surprising. It's the number two thing we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 the second big topic on the show. But you know, you're right. I mean, it's 
Orton comes back. It's 18 months. We thought there was a chance he might not wrestle again. Obviously, we reported otherwise on buymeacoffee.com. We've been ahead of this story for months now. But you're right. Like, he finally comes back. He is a B-side historically, but he gets those massive pops, which really, when it comes to returning stars, only John Cena gets, you know, more than Orton or equal to Orton at this point. I guess now CM Punk as well. But regardless, your point is true that, you know, Orton comes back. You're really excited that baby faces win. You're like, wow, that's great. Let's close the show. And then CM Punk comes back and kind of overshadows it. But Chris, I know you were going to bring this up earlier. That plays into what happened after the match. And I think is going to be a big time storyline come Monday on Raw. Yes, that is the video going around of Seth Rollins uh, flipping off and dropping some F-bombs towards CM Punk uh, being held back by Michael Cole, Corey Graves, Sami Zayn watching on and everybody freaked out of it. Oh man, Seth looked pissed. You didn't you're like that was what the word from people there. What happened? What happened? The videos come out and you watch and you're like, oh man, he looks pissed. And then you think about it for more than two seconds and you realize, oh, this is a work. This is very clearly a yes. work, but I don't care, man. I loved it. it. It's awesome. Like, like lean into that type of stuff. That's the fun stuff. Whether or not you're getting worked or not, it's fun to get worked. The fact that people thought it was real. I like that. That's, that's what we want wrestling to be. But Seth Rollins is a complete professional. He would not be middle fingers and F-bombs in Correct. front of a live crowd. Like, <laughs> he, knows, he knows what he's doing, and he knows uh, the things he has said about CM Punk, right. calling him cancer and all these other things, and he knows how to do business. And that is why I think coming in, I guess, probably on Raw than Monday, the number one thing we're going to be wondering is, do we get a Seth Rollins CM Punk confrontation? That's a great point. Now, let's just be very clear what happened with Rollins. You said it. It's kayfabe. It's fake. The reason why it happened off the air is because they're not putting CM Punk flipping middle fingers and screaming the F word yes. on a WWE premium live event. Triple Correct. H, who let's remember, folks, is an extremely good and smart booker. I am the game, Jr. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. He ran this after the match ended to get you to watch Raw on Monday night, going up against Monday night football. They are not about to, number one, Rollins is not about to do this. As you said, he's an ultimate professional. He'd go backstage, complain, do whatever he would do. He would never do that in front of all the fans like that. But number two, WWE would never put something like that on television. So what are they doing? They're having social media and the dirt sheets do the work for them, just like they did with the White Rabbit reveal for Bray Wyatt. That wasn't on TV. WWE didn't announce that. It popped up at at uh, house shows, and then they would be little QR codes in the background of TV and all this and that. They didn't come out and tell us, or they didn't have a big reveal on the show. They waited until the opportune moment. And just to go back, by the way, to what you said uh, regarding Seth Rollins talking about CM Punk calling him a cancer. Here is that comment from, I believe this year, I want to say right before WrestleMania. So we don't know what's going on with CM Punk, but you guys have had some barn burners in WWE. Would you like to see Phil Brooks uh, back in WWE? Oh, Philly Phil, stay away. Stay away, you cancer. Get away from me forever. Wow. Yeah, no, I don't like Phil. I don't like Phil. He's a jerk. Oh, did we just figure that out? Did we just figure that out? 
No, everybody in the room, like, it's like, oh, no, dude, did he say that? Yeah, no, he's a jerk. Come on. We figured it out over there. We knew it over here. I don't want him back. Go do something else. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later. So shout out to Wrestling Inc. that got that interview, and it was Royal Rumble weekend, not WrestleMania weekend. But let's not forget, Rollins has friends in AEW. He spoke with John Moxley and Renee Paquette. He knows the stuff that has gone on with Punk over there. So for him to give that reaction after the match, I don't know whether they're going to play this clip or whether they're going to refer back to his take in this regard, but it's clearly an angle and people need to know that before we leave this instant analysis. Let me also mention there was video of McIntyre storming out of the ring and backstage and people thought he was upset over Punk. Well, there's two things that everyone needs to know. Number one, apparently everyone in the match was told that Punk was returning before the match began. So it wasn't a surprise to anyone out there. That's according to, I believe, Fightful. I want to give them proper credit for that. But number two, McIntyre left before Punk ever showed up. So he wasn't reacting to that in kayfabe. There are people thinking that he's angry at WWE. There was a report that came out earlier Saturday that they have not successfully renegotiated a deal yet, but he still has six months left on the deal. And I've reported this on our buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. There's no rush right now. Both sides feel like they'll come to an agreement and that's it. There's been some stuff that has happened in Drew's personal life. Uh, He took a period of time off, you will remember, recently came back, but he, the way he left War Games, very similar to the way he left Clash at the Castle and I believe also SummerSlam, grabbing his face, hurt, angry, storming out. There's reports that he also stormed out of the arena. I personally am of the belief he's just selling everything. I don't know what would have happened in the match, including possibly, let's say, him getting potatoed, like taking a hard shot to the head or getting hurt or something like that. I don't know what could have potentially happened that would have led to McIntyre storming out and quote unquote quitting WWE. So I don't believe that for a moment. I think he's just being written off for a period of time. Don't forget, he came back. He just did this, you know, tweener heel turn. He got beat in the big match that he was supposed to be in to get revenge on Jey Uso. And what else would he do? He would be upset and storm off. So that's my expectation, Chris. WWE has been building McIntyre extensively over the last few weeks. If they thought he was leaving or he told them he was leaving, they would not have given him this much TV time to completely change his character. I think it's all kayfabe. I just wanted to state that right now. Yeah, I think the past history of wrestling and everything that goes on in AEW bleeding into real life has people thinking this is a normal thing that, oh, someone stormed off. We caught it on video. Like, this doesn't happen in current WWE. Seth Seth Rollins is a pro. Drew McIntyre is a pro. If they are upset about things, they're not going to handle it those types of ways. You know, like, like, it's just not how normal business works. I think everything that's happened in AEW has kind of skewed people into thinking that Agreed. it's just, it can be a complete madhouse. And that's not, it's especially not the case when Triple H has been in charge and all that kind of stuff. So um, not sure what's next with McIntyre. I think he's great. I thought he should have beat Rollins at Crown Jewel. Um, we'll see. But look, he he did get the win over Jey Uso on he did uh, raw on raw straight clean. So, you know, so so he did get his revenge there. I said we said that in the ultimate preview. What does he have to fight for in this match now? He he got his revenge. Uh, so we'll see what happens next with him. 
Absolutely. Now let's move on because we could talk about this all night. Move to the women's war games match. Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Shotzi and Becky Lynch against Damage Control. A lot happened on SmackDown that we got to get to first. So let me run through it. So the faces opened the show. They entered to Becky's music, all coordinated, wearing black and silver. Lynch alluded to her issues with Flair early, but said beating up Damage Control is too good to pass up. Belair got a big pop speaking. And then Shotzi got extended mic time. She was manic and chaotic, probably 50% 50% overboard. Bailey tried to wedge drive Becky and Charlotte, countering that damage control is cohesive. There were light idiotic CM Punk chants, as I mentioned, when Bailey spoke. And she was a bit boring, to be fair, but Becky and Charlotte decided to team up in the main event. The rest of damage control wasn't having it backstage. EO Sky demanded Bailey be in that match since she's the one who booked it. Asuka hugged her tight, which was funny as hell because they have a long rivalry. Then Becky and Charlotte fully got into it over a really stupid reason backstage, basically showing they still have animosity. Belair confronted Lynch, saying, like it or not, Flair was right in their earlier argument. And if Becky and Bianca can be good, they can make it work with Charlotte. Lynch said it was against her nature, but ultimately relented. Shotzi later was back speaking completely normal, reminding Charlotte that she was there for her when she got her head shaved. And they had a few nice words between them and said a few nice words between Charlotte and Becky could really change things. That led us to the main event, Lynch and Flair against Bailey and Asuka. The faces agreed they were good before the match. Charlotte did her moonsault into thin air outside. Light CM Punk chance again, quickly drowned out by booze. Asuka took Flair out of a figure four with a code breaker. Lynch countered Roseplant into a back suplex and hit manhandle slam, only for Flair to spear Asuka into them, breaking the fall. Bailey then pushed Becky into Charlotte for the surprise roll-up, one, two, three to end it, and damage control was all thrilled, hugging Bailey at ringside. Lynch also busted open her lip here, and the faces had to separate them with Becky walking off by herself, pissed off at Charlotte. Lots to unpack, let's do it quick. Really odd opening. It started white hot, but it torpedoed once Shotzi spoke. She was absolutely brutal, which is strange because she did great in the latter segment, really shined. More on that Tuesday. Bailey droning on didn't help, as I said. The animosity, though, that they built within both groups was key. The backstage segments were far better telling the story than the confrontation in the ring. You could cut the damage control tension with a knife. EO came across cool as a silent leader. No one dared to speak out of turn. And they also dove deep into the Becky Charlotte dynamic as we hoped they would last week. It's legitimately compelling between them. Having the heels win this match with Lynch and Flair at odds even after it looked like they had kind of come together. That was a great go home moment. So despite a couple speed bumps at the start, mostly with Shotzi and and Bailey, this worked as a show long storyline Also, Bailey getting the fall seemed telling as to the result of Saturday's match. Yeah, it was what the second week in a row that they had the the damage control story start and basically end SmackDown. The in the ring was too long. The Shotzi thing, I completely I keep completely forgetting that damage control, quote unquote, shaved her head. Right. Because we know she did it for I think it was her sister or someone who's going through chemotherapy or something like that. So I've always looked at it like that. I forgot. I keep forgetting it's a wrestling storyline. Um, yeah, it, it, it was it was what it was. It was OK. But with the way SmackDown ended, it further confirmed both of our predictions on how the War Games match would go. So let's go to that War Games match. This opened the show as expected. The faces obviously won the vote, the Ruffles vote for the advantage. Lynch entered last, nodded to Flair after dapping up the others and decided to start. Damage control all wore kabuki masks with Bailey starting. Dakota Kai hit Becky with a kendo stick through the cage. Fans literally chanted for tables five minutes into this match. 
Shotzi was second throwing in chairs in a trash can. She started hop but ate a cutter on a tope suicida between the rings. Io was fired out of a cannon with a springboard dropkick. Belair was next, immediately whipping her double braids. The heels grabbed them, so Belair flipped out of the corner and pulled them into her with a double DDT. Kyrie Sane was third for the heels, grabbing a trash can lid. She had an awesome pop-up assisted insane elbow on Shotzi, who was under a pile of chairs. Flair had a hot tag-like entrance, hitting a flying double blockbuster. She and Lynch stood off from one another for no reason. Io climbed to the top and then dropped a chain down to Dakota, who connected it to a trash can so that Io could like fish it up, like bring it up. I don't know what the term is. When you like reel up a fishing line, she did that, bringing the trash can to the top of the cage. Io then reprised her NXT move, covering herself in the trash can and flying off the top, smashing the other women in a crossbody. Six spot, freaking fantastic. Asuka entered and finally brought in the table. Kendo sticks plus a fire extinguisher. She got a huge pop and war games officially began. Becky and Bianca got chained together on the ground, eating quadruple shotgun dropkicks. Asuka misted Shotzi on the top rope and hit a springboard dropkick on Lynch in a trash can for a false finish. Belair and Lynch hit stereo powerbombs before Flair climbed to the top rope for a huge moonsault into a pile. I said top rope, top of the cage. Let me be very clear about that. First time she hit one of those moonsaults in years and she did it off the top of war games. Becky and Charlotte then hit a double powerbomb on Kyrie and did a big dramatic hug in the middle of the ring. I got to admit, I did have like the AEW best friends. You got to give the people what they want. Like the zoom out, I really wanted it. And of course they didn't do it because it's not their gimmick. Uh, they got stereo submissions, but Bailey broke Charlotte with an elbow drop. Becky countered insane elbow with her knees before Bailey broke disarm her on Kyrie. Shotzi then missile drop kicked Asuka off Bel Air shoulders only for another Bailey save. Lynch ate rose plant. Shotzi hit sliced bread. Asuka failed on a mist. She was supposed to get the fire extinguisher sprayed in her face simultaneously by Bianca. Timing was a little bit off. Kyrie swung a trash can lid into Shotzi's face. Looked like she killed her. Then Bailey took a bullet for Kyrie, taking a Charlotte spear. Shotzi came back with a senton onto Bailey, and Bel Air hit her with the kiss of death. Then she was given to Lynch for an avalanche manhandle slam through a table for the babyface victory. They celebrated all on top of the cage to wrap it up with a huge ovation from the crowd after the bell. This Chris was top tier. Beyond the fantastic wrestling both ways, the match story sold this. You had Bailey saving damage control time and again, sacrificing herself time and again over the entire match beyond portion. And then ultimately, she took all of the punishment for them in the finish with no one coming to help her. Just perfection there. Outside of the false finishes, which could have been a little bit smoother, it was tough to ask for more from this match. Bailey was the true MVP, both in kayfabe and reality. The Becky Charlotte moment got a great pop after all of that go-home build on SmackDown. I'll say that as this match transpired, it felt like Damage Control maybe should have won. They had a ton of momentum going. The fans were loving their stuff, even if they were cheering for the faces. But the baby faces made the most sense, given the Bailey storyline and all the build. Excellent start. I thought it was the match of the night. 4.5 stars and an A. Agree on match of the night. This had the story that the men's match really didn't. It's like you said, it was Bailey continually taking damage, no pun intended, for everybody else. EO doing the spot off the top of the cage. Those of us who remember it in NXT remember it being a crazy spot 
that you know that we always uh, remember. It makes sense to do it here on a larger stage. Um, I don't think she'd ever done it on the main roster in a cage match. Maybe I, I, I don't know, but it made sense to do it here. I saw it going around, being shared by people I follow who don't who only kind of casually watch wrestling. The Charlotte moonsault to me was actually the crazier spot, especially knowing how Charlotte does her moonsault, right. which is she has to land on her feet. And that's what she did here. She basically landed on EO's head with her with her foot. She basically kicked her in the head, uh, stepped on her really on the way down. Thankfully, it seemed like everybody was OK. Um, it, it was great match. A lot of fun. The only thing that stuck out, unless I missed something, Kyrie saying, you know, Bailey get, you know, takes the spear for her mm-hmm. at the end. And then goes through all those other finishers and, and Kyrie just like never recovered, I guess. It, it, it was kind of a bit of a drawn out finish in that sense. Uh, but, you know, really good. Everything worked. Match of the night. Agree. Well, in that moment, I'm just clarifying. Kyrie did take a lot of punishment before that. Bailey just saved her from eating a spear that would have probably ended the match. And then Bailey took all the punishment. But that goes into the point of like Bailey's here taking bullets for everyone. And then when it comes to her needing help, she doesn't get any help. I think that's yeah. going to play directly into the storyline this coming Friday on SmackDown, where they're going to be angry that she lost the match. And she's going to be like, wait a minute, I saved all of you. And what? where were you when I needed you? And that's how you turn her baby face. So I think that was the point, Chris. Yeah, it, it could be. Because they did show Kyrie Sane kind of sitting up at the end. In the, in in the, the corner. In the corner. Yeah, yeah. I saw that too, for sure. All right, let's move to the Women's World Championship. Rhea Ripley against Zoe Stark. Stark got up on Ripley early until Rhea caught her trying to pounce over the ropes with a headbutt that briefly changed momentum. Uh, Zoe came back with a DDT on the ring apron and her seated springboard corkscrew sent on. There was a crazy spot where Ripley appeared to try like an avalanche chokeslam, but Stark flipped out of it. I think she was just supposed to flip and land on her feet, but she fell. Rhea hit a couple big slams and then a Northern Lights suplex bridge. Stark then talked shit to Ripley only to counter Riptide into a German suplex, but Ripley countered Z360, catching Stark with a headbutt and Riptide to retain the title. There was a while, honestly, where my grade was going to be in the C range here. It felt like they were not exactly connecting, and there wasn't really cohesive work being done. And then everything kind of turned on a dime at the midway point. This got pretty damn hot. It ended up being the worst, in quotes, Match of the night, 3.5 stars and a B. I mean, that's not bad, obviously, but it was also in a real unenviable spot coming out of the Lucha match, which we'll talk about later, ahead of the main event. Ripley was obviously the right winner. Stark was game here and likely won over a lot of fans, as Michael Cole did suggest on commentary. They both looked great as well from a gear and presentation perspective. The match belonged on the show, no question about it. Did it deliver to my highest expectation? No, but if this was a TV main event, we'd be singing its praises, saying it was incredible. So again, 3.5 stars B, real solid match for a premium live event. Yeah, I, I think solid is the way I would put it as well. It got better as it went on. Crowd was into it at the end. Uh, obviously, Zoe had the cool face paint when she came in. Rhea's outfit. Am I wrong or was that was that dressing like Trish Stratus? I didn't catch that. I didn't think so. I thought she was just matching... Judgment Day, they were it, all wearing black and white the whole night. It it could have been, but she she was wearing chaps, and the top really looked like Trish from from before. I don't think commentary said anything about it. Corey Graves, I think, said that she was wearing the same boots as Dominic, 
So maybe it's just me making that connection. He did say that. It, it yeah. stood out to me because it was very, it was very different than the, than the looks that Rhea typically had. But she looked great. Obviously, both of them looked great. Match was real solid. And look, this is what we need. We need Rhea Ripley to get pay per view matches and wins right. as you build her toward presumably one of the main events on WrestleMania. She just hasn't had a lot of feuds and matches and wins, and we got to start racking those up. Totally. Yeah, absolutely nailed it. She's better coming out of this than she was going in. That's really the most important thing, and they need to keep the train going, like you said, with her getting title defenses against women on the roster, presumably building to Ripley and Lynch at WrestleMania, which, let me restate, absolutely needs to main event night one. Period. All right, let's move to the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther against The Miz. A-plus intro of Gunther by Samantha Irvin. Totally on point. Miz ate a huge chop early, but smartly went after Gunther's leg, using the apron and the ring post, including doing a wrapped figure four around it. He also took him down with a hurricanrana and later a tornado DDT. Gunther came back with a shotgun dropkick and a powerbomb for a false finish, pushed him to the corner. Miz pulled off the top turnbuckle pad and mule kicked Gunther, but he hit him in the knee. Then he turned around and did a full low blow as the referee was turned around fixing the pad. Then he hit skull crushing finale. The referee turns back around. He gets a false finish. Miz countered a Gunther sleeper hold, running Gunther into the top turnbuckle. Then he rolled him over for another false finish. Gunther came back with a splash onto Miz's back and a Boston Crab, adding a knee to like his shoulder blades right on his back for the submission victory and title retention. This was a shocking sprint considering it was Gunther and Miz involved. Like those are not two guys you think are just going to sprint towards the finish. Miz broke out a lot of Bret Hart moves, and I know Michael Cole called it out, but it was obvious as soon as he did the figure four around the ring post. He was trying to pull off the upset. He wrestled an extremely smart match, yet Gunther was allowed to remain dominant throughout whenever Miz was not outsmarting him. I always love when Gunther wins without one of his signature finishers, and him beating Miz squeaky clean with a Boston Crab, randomly of all things, it was necessary to continue his dominant reign. I thought Miz looked good, Gunther looked great, 3.75 stars B+, and a perfect palate cleanser after the women's War Games match going into the rest of the show. Yeah, another one where Miz gets kind of a big moment, not many matches on this card, and he delivered. And Triple H called him out for that in in the press conference, crediting him for for the job he's done. And man, when, when Miz hit that low blow, that pop was humongous from that crowd. And then you get the false finish and the crowd was really into it. I just, I just love when a heel becomes a face, but he doesn't really stop being a heel. He's just less of a dick than the other guy. And the crowd gets behind him like that. That's, that's a true Miz type of moment there. Um, it, it was a good false finish. I think Gunther said in the press conference afterward, like he proved that he, you know, was better than people think, but he's still not nearly as good as me. And yeah, finishing with the Boston Crab was interesting too. So it was unique, fun, a lot more than I expected. Real solid. All right, let's move to Santos Escobar scheduled to fight Carlito on SmackDown. Carlito was excited to get his first PLE singles match in 13 years, but instead he focused on Escobar. He cut a promo in Spanish. Santos got some heat when he entered, questioning Carlito's loyalty given he doesn't even wear the LWO colors and Escobar has the tattoo, whereas Carlito does not. Carlito said Rey Mysterio was his family. That sent Escobar into like a blind rage, saying Rey was his family and it was Carlito's fault that he's injured. Carlito largely dominated a brawl. They had to get split up just due to the ferocity of the entire thing. Escobar looked like he was walking away. 
Instead, he ran all the way around the stage through the crowd, back to the ring, catching Carlito from behind with a knee to the shoulder for a big injury sell. Escobar then attacked Carlito again backstage, only for Dragon Lee to save with a Huracarana into a road case. Nick Aldis announced the match was postponed, but Dragon Lee popped in, passionately demanded to replace Carlito. Aldis accepted. I should also note, Dragon got a promo video package earlier in the episode showcasing his family, his legacy. He referred to himself as the evolution of Lucha Libre. It was extremely well done. I got to admit, this entire execution was way better than I could have expected when I saw Carlito standing in the ring by himself. I mean, his promo was whatever, relatively standard, but Santos was on absolute fire and it was a real smart segment and a big piece of booking to have Escobar twice attack from behind, just take Carlito out of this match after he opened saying he was excited to have this fight on a PLE. Santos looked like a million bucks. He came off like a total piece of shit and it opened the door for Dragon to step through as a proper, much more exciting competitor for a premium live event. Dragon looked great. Escobar looked even better. And it was back-to-back weeks on SmackDown of Santos just coming across like a upper mid-card slash main event level heel that just refuses to be denied. Yeah, this was a really good step forward for him being a heel. I I was kind of like whatever with this after what happened the week prior. Um, but Santos has given it his all here and I don't switching out of Carlito into Dragon Lee was kind of weird when Carlito was kind of the whole basis for things as Santos laid out in the promo. But it was like, look, there it just continued the trend of like, look, we're just going to give you a Dragon Lee match on the show that you're not expecting and it's going to be a lot of fun and you're going to like it. So I guess I guess this was the way of uh, shoehorning that in. Yeah, possibly for sure. Uh, So let's get to the match. Escobar dominated early, nearly crushed Lee's leg in the stairs, only for Dragon to rally back with a huge Tope con Hero. Escobar answered with a top rope Huracarana. Then he tried to pry off Dragon's mask to asshole chance from the crowd. Dragon hit the draping double stomp on Santos, only to get turned inside out on a super kick. Then he hit a full effort Liger bomb, but Escobar kicked out and immediately came back with a Canadian destroyer, followed by the Phantom Driver, his finisher, for the one, two, three, and a squeaky clean heel victory. I thought this was outstanding bell to bell. The wrestling was obviously exceptional. You had the two Lucha stars doing pretty much whatever they could to get the crowd hype, but the character work of Escobar continuing to show the heel tendencies and getting the upper mid-card style clean win over a burgeoning baby face. Man, that was great. Like You guys know how long I've been singing the praises of Santos Escobar, and to see him be like just another baby face in the LWO. And and for me to be kind of disappointed with the way he was being booked only for this to completely turn on a dime over the last three weeks, but really the last two weeks, man, it has been awesome to see this guy get elevated. This match was a bit too short, but given what else was on the card, I totally understand that 3.75 stars B plus. Yeah. You know, it was just there to be a really fun match least important match on a small card and it was but it was exciting for what it was and i enjoyed it i don't really have much more analysis other than that then it was really good wrestling and i guess we'll wait a week to see where the actual storyline gets back to yeah that makes total sense look at folks it was only a five match card three of them were singles matches that were pretty simple we had two epic war games matches that we needed to discuss and of course the cm punk return i'm actually kind of pleased with us chris that we were able to knock this out in such a relatively 
for us at least, brief period of time. That concludes the WWE Survivor Series Instant Analysis, but we still need to wrap this up with our grades for the show. Let's first give everyone a reminder of where we stood with our pre-show expectation grades on our ultimate preview. Chris, you said the show would be an A-. minus. I agreed that it would be an A-. minus. I was slightly higher than you, if memory serves, on the numerical scale. Here is where all of you are getting overheads, our listeners, our followers on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Here is where you stood in our pre-show poll. 53% A, 37% B, 8% C, 2% D or F. Obviously, those 2% are ridiculous. That averages out to an 89.3, a B plus slightly under Chris, where you and I stood. So with that said, as always, when we give our post-show grades, I let you go first. Chris, what is your final grade for WWE Survivor Series? War Games! Came in at an A-, minus, going out with an A-. minus Again, maybe more of a 91, 92, as opposed to, I think, the 90 out of 100 ahead coming in. Some really good matches. Um, a couple... Half the card or so was maybe kind of forgettable, but they gave us moments. They gave us things we're going to remember. One of those is Randy Orton coming back. One of those is a great women's match with some great spots. One of those is CM Punk coming back. And ultimately, that's what you want. I I think if it was just if there was just more on the card, I would have given it an A. But uh, real solid A minus with moments that you're always going to remember. And that's what you want out of any show. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a solid grade A minus. I'm of the opinion that I'm not going to say the show was perfectly executed because there are definitely things that could have been done better. And to your point, it did feel like there was one major match missing from the card, just like a world, a men's world championship match or another mid card match. If Logan Paul fought like Kevin Owens on the show, that would have been like a great additional sixth match that may have put this even more fully over the top but I am more bullish on this show than you were. I was already a little bit higher on the higher side of an A- minus coming in, and I'm at an A. I'm going to say around like a 93, you know, maybe a 94, something like that. Again, I'm going to rewatch and give a final grade on Tuesday, but I'm an A for this show. You had both War Games matches, which are the signature bouts on the show, delivering A's, and in the other three, you had nothing worse than a 3.5 B, B for me. And again, it's not just about work rate or match quality or anything like that. The entire presentation of the show for me worked. There were very short periods of time where there wasn't actual wrestling. They had their advertisements. They did the Ruffles backstage segment. R-Truth did return, by the way. Triple H was not fully being sarcastic. We can talk about that a little bit more on Tuesday because it was a backstage segment that didn't really matter that much. But R-Truth is back. So that's great that he's back as well. He's super fun and got a huge pop, by the way, in that moment. But then on top of all of that, They swerved us at the end and they brought in CM Punk. And you got to give at least an extra point for that. I mean, that's part of the show, right? It's super entertaining. So that's where I stand. And I'm much more closely aligned with the listeners, our getting overheads, our followers on Twitter at getting overcast. Here is their grade and their poll results. 78% A, 20% B, 2% C. I can't, I mean, I know that we've gotten grades like that before. I think WrestleMania night one was even crazier, but that is the best graded show that our listeners have put together 
in a long time. That averages out to a 93.5, which is right between where my initial grades were. They're at an A as well, but low A for me and listeners, high A minus from you. We're basically saying the same thing. Survivor Series War Games absolutely delivered on Saturday night, Chris. I just wish it didn't happen during rivalry week for college football. I wish that, and I wish we had an actual Survivor Series match. Can we please, for the love of God, bring that back if you're going to keep calling the show Survivors? It sure did feel, Chris, like with Nick Aldis and Adam Pierce, they were headed towards that, and they just never put it together. I wonder if perhaps the Punk situation or they timed out the show and they figured, hey, you know, to throw this on, we need at least 20 minutes for it. We're not going to be able to fit it in. Triple H does like to keep tight shows. It's going to be really interesting to perhaps find out in the future why that storyline did not pay off for Survivor Series War Games. But you're right. Like the War Games matches are great. I'm fine, though, with having one War Games match, one Survivor Series elimination match, or if you want to have two War Games matches, fine. But in the middle of the show, do an elimination match. You can do brand versus brand. It seemed like they were in the middle of building up something like that, and they just kind of let it go. Yeah, and I know we both said the, the women's war games was the one that could have most likely been the Survivor Series match. I actually think the way the matches played out, it's the, the men's that match that could have because that's true. Of the, the women's match had all the spots from the top of the cage. So that's kind of why you want war games. But again, in war games, everybody has to get pinned. I'm sorry, Survivor Series, everybody has to get pinned, right. although they did pin Priest anyway. So <laughs> I, mean, right. I, I, I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, it was good show. You know, Triple H continues to do good stuff. You know, like he says, hey, I stuff wasn't on the card and then taken off. It just we didn't put it on there. Exactly. He said that for SummerSlam and some things. I'm guessing that's what happened here as well. You want to keep it to a tight show, especially with the CM Punk thing happening at the end, which you know it is. So uh, I get it. The only other thing that Aldis and Pierce could be talking about where it would make sense brand versus brand would be the tag team titles, which they still carry the four championships around, the four separate belts, and they're doing the tag team title matches. They just did one on SmackDown. They're going to do one on Raw Monday night. It's possible if Judgment Day retains Monday, as they already did Friday, that maybe those conversations were about splitting the titles back up. I could see that, but it did really feel like it was going to be Survivor Series because they were angry with each other and they had animosity. It wasn't like they were having just a friendly conversation. So I do think that the plan was Survivor Series, and maybe we'll find out whether that was the case or not. But look, 2024, we want at least one traditional Survivor Series elimination match back. It's as simple as that. Now, I just want to reiterate as we wrap up this show, because we did give you as extensive as we could of a WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis that we always do a second look at the last WWE premium live event on the upcoming Tuesday WWE show. This week, I promise you, we will do an even more extensive second look. Not only will we double back on the CM Punk news and the occurrences and the happenings and everything that's transpired coming out of Survivor Series War Games, but we will also have updated takes and opinions and more about all the matches on this card. We'll discuss everything that happened on SmackDown Friday night that we have not already discussed on this instant analysis. And of course, we have three hours of Raw on Monday. Point being, Tuesday's WWE show is going to be absolutely loaded. You do not want to miss it. On the way out, allow the Silver King to take care of a little business. Let me first remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast 
is all about Defy. So please be sure to leave some five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple, take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can vote in our pre and post show polls like the ones we ran Saturday night around premium live events and pay-per-views. You can also tweet and DM us questions and comments that we will read on the show. And I promise we will hit up some of those on Tuesday as well. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus instant reaction audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling after the major television shows and exclusive news posts every Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for 2023 WWE Survivor Series War Games. Instant analysis. I really just wanted to play that once more before we wrap this up. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.